How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? And I want you to join me uh, once again, if you will, back in the book of Psalms, chapter 119. Psalms 119. And I'd like to read just a couple of verses here tonight, if I may. And uh, I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open and just kind of follow me along uh, through the text tonight. Psalms 119, and uh, that's page number 658, if you have an old Schofield Bible, Psalms 119. Uh, don't forget, I hope you'll pray. You know, I, I, I think if I saw the weather right, I know they're calling for maybe a chance of ice maybe Friday morning and Saturday morning, but I think Sunday, at least right now, is supposed to be okay. And uh, so that will be wonderful to be able to come to church and not have to worry about slick roads one Sunday morning. And that will be good, hopefully, if it all pans out like that. And uh, so we're looking forward to the Lord's Day, and I'm kind of looking forward to kind of getting back to some normalcy. I'll tell you, now that I'm used to being at church early, uh, man, I don't think 10 o'clock's ever going to get here. And uh, so... Uh, and then on vacation this year, the church we went to didn't have service till 11 o'clock. And I like to went crazy waiting for just 11 o'clock to come on Sunday morning because that's, I'm just, that's totally out of my norm now. And, uh, but I hope you'll pray for the service this Sunday. And if you will, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Please pray for the service this Sunday. And then come and let's just ask God to help us and speak to us as we gather this Lord's Day. Well, let's have prayer and we'll jump into this text tonight. Father, I pray that you might bless your word and just speak to us and teach us something and encourage our hearts from the Bible tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalms 119, you know, Psalms 119 is the great chapter in the Bible. It's not only the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's also called the great chapter when it comes to the Word of God in the Bible. This is the Word of God chapter of the Bible. This psalm has 176 verses in it, and out of the 176 verses of this psalm, only three of them don't mention some aspect of the Word of God. This is the chapter in the Bible that speaks about the Word of God. Now, if you look at verse 15, the psalmist said, I'll meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Now, you have three different words that are used to describe the Bible. First of all, Verse 15, you have the word precepts. Well, really four of them. You have the word precepts. And then in verse 15, it mentions the word ways. Then in verse 16, you have the word statutes. And then simply called in verse 16 at the end, thy word. So this whole chapter is full of the word of God. Now, if there's anything that you and I ought to be interested in as a child of God that is absolutely essential to our growth and our success as a child of God, it's the word of God. We've got to have the Word of God. I'm not just talking about on Sunday when the preacher reads the Bible and you follow along. I hope you make the part the Bible a part of your everyday living. If you don't, I highly recommend you to start a new regimen of getting the Word of God into your heart every, every day. Now, if you'll look in these verses, there are four things in verse 15 and 16 that we ought to do uh, with the Word of God. First of all, if you'll look at verse 15, we ought to read recite 
the Word of God. I will meditate in thy precepts. Boy, we ought to recite the Word of God. You know, the Bible ought to just flow out of us as we put it in. It ought to flow out of us. And I remember years ago, Brother Zeno telling me, uh, years ago before he ever died, he said, now let me tell you, because I came here when I was 33, and I'm 58 now, so I've grown up and grown old right before your very eyes. But when I came here at the age of 33, he said, you're a young man now. He said, what you ought to try to do is put the Word of God into your heart, because when you get old, God will draw it out of you. And you know, if we put it in, it'll come out. And we ought to recite the Word of God. Then number two, we ought to respect the Word of God. Look at the last phrase of verse 15. The psalmist said, and have respect unto thy ways. Boy, we ought to respect the Bible. Boy, we ought to so revere and respect the Bible that, it, you know, it's not something that we just take home and throw up on top of the TV or put on the shelf and all week long it lays there and collects dust, you know, and then we grab it down on Sunday or throw it in the car or, man, and I don't want to be after you. It's not y'all, it's that Sunday morning crowd that just leaves it in church all week long. And it just lays here in these, not y'all, not y'all, but I'm talking about that son. Lay, lay it right there with your Bible and just leave it here for the whole week, I guess, so you'll know where it's at. But, uh, or not y'all, but that Sunday morning crowd. And, uh, and don't have anything to do with it. We ought to respect the Word of God. In fact, can I tell you something? Really, how you respect the Word of God says a lot about how you respect Jesus. You cannot separate your love for the Savior from your love for the Scriptures. We ought to recite it. We ought to respect it. What about this? We ought to rejoice in it. Look at verse 16. I will delight myself in thy statutes. But we ought to rejoice in the Word of God. You know something? There are three types of people that are alive on the earth in these last days. There are those that are afraid. There are those who don't know enough to be afraid. And then there are those who know their Bibles. Will you agree with me when I say that? You know, our world today is full of a lot of people, uh, full of people, and, and there's a lot of these people, man, they're afraid. They know something's about to happen, but they don't know what it is. They're afraid. Then there's a lot of people in our world that don't even know enough to be afraid. I mean, they think, man, this is just normal in our day. What's going on? But then there are those of us who know our Bible. And for those of us who know our Bible, we can rejoice. I said this morning on the radio, say it again tonight, we've been preaching for years that it's going to be like this. It has to get like this for Jesus. Christ. And now we're discouraged and frustrated, won't throw up our hands and quit. Are you kidding me? We knew it was going to get like this. It's got to get like this. But we're getting ready to leave out of here. You say, where'd you find that at? In the Bible? Recite it. Respect it. Rejoice in it. But then what about this? We ought to remember it. Look again at verse 16. I will not forget thy word. Remember the Bible. Now, you, I, the reason I've said all that is because right now we're currently in a series of messages on the subject of the Bible. Great Bible words every child of God ought to know. Words that we as God's people, as, as uh, we live out these last days, words we ought to be familiar with. And if you remember last week, I told you this up on the screens. Here's a great statement regarding our responsibility toward the Word of God. Every child of God is to know 
the Bible. Every child of God is to stow the Bible. Every child of God is to show the Bible. And every child of God is to sow the Bible. So there you have our responsibility. Know it, stow it, show it, and sow it in this world in which we live. Let me tell you something that the Bible will do. The Bible will convict you when you do wrong. The Bible convicts us. The Bible converts us. The Bible cleanses us. The Bible corrects us. Uh, the Bible confirms us. And the Bible comforts us. The two greatest gifts God's ever given to humanity. Number one is His Son, the Savior. And number two, the Bible. So what we're trying to do in these days, just dig in our Bible a little bit and get better acquainted, get ourselves acquainted with some great words in the Bible. So tonight, and by the way, we've been using our English alphabet, you know, starting with A, A words, B words. Last week we were on H words, and tonight we come with great, great words of the Bible that begin with the letter I. All right, now, it seems like each week when I go looking for some of these great words, I find that so many of the words in our Bible that, forget, that begin with, for instance, the letter I, are either words or names of people or their names of places. There's only one book in our whole entire Bible that's, that begins with the, with the letter I, and that's the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet. Now, there's a lot of people in our Bible that whose name begins with the letter I. For instance, we don't read far in the Bible till we become acquainted with a man by the name of Isaac. You remember him? And then Isaac had two boys. He had one boy whose name was Ishmael. We, we talked about him on Sunday night. But then he had another boy whose name was Jacob, but later on was named Israel. So now, right up front in the Bible, we've got, we've got Isaac, Ishmael, and then we've got Israel, or Jacob, or Israel. And then we know that Israel had a son by the name of Issachar, which became one of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And then we skip a few books, and we go over, and we run into an old boy by the name of Ichabod. I mean, we got some great people in our Bible whose name begins with letter I. But now here's something I ran into that, boy, kind of set me back a little bit, and that's this. Did you know I couldn't think of one person in our New Testament whose name begins with a letter I? Now, I know what you may be thinking. You're thinking about Judas Iscariot. But really, Judas Iscariot was a place, so to speak. So really, I don't think there's anybody in our New Testament whose name begins with a letter I. And I got to tell you, when I went looking some, for some words in the Bible, I struggled, but never fear, never fear. <laughs> I got enough words to make a sermon out of it tonight. Boy, why did you sit there and say, well, we figured you would, preacher. We figured you would. So what I'd like to do tonight is just mention four words in our Bible, great words, that begin with the letter I. All right? Let's get started. The first great word in our Bible that begins with the letter I is the word intercession. The word intercession. Now, the word intercession or some form of it, intercede or whatever, is mentioned some 11 times in the Bible. Now, when you hear that word intercessor, intercession or intercessor or intercede, your mind ought to automatically default to the subject of prayer. Because as we pray, that word intercession many times is associated with prayer. So look at this verse right here, 
And uh, let's see if we can get to the, the bottom of this. I exhort therefore. Now this is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. And Paul is writing. He said, okay, I want to exhort you. I'm just challenging you. Man, I am encouraging you that first of all. Now that's important there because I think what Paul is telling us there is that this, prayer is the primary thing that God's people ought to do. That first of all. Everything else is secondary behind prayer. Prayer should never be our last resort. It should always be our first resource. And then he goes into this, and he mentions four different types of praying that we do. He talks about prayers of supplications. Then he uses just the simple word prayer. Then he uses that word intercessions. And then he talks about and giving of thanks be made for all men. And by the way, if you'll read on the next verse, it talks about praying for those that are in authority. Now, I know what some people would say. Boy, bless God. Preacher, bless your heart. I'm not praying for Joe Biden. But can I tell you something? The man that was ruling in Paul's day was old Nero. Now, Joe, can I tell you who Nero was? He was Joe Biden on steroids. He was Joe Biden and Koala Harris all rode up into one. That's right. He was a wicked, ungodly man. But Paul said, hey, 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 let me tell you, we need to pray for that man. And if Paul could pray for Nero, I guess we can pray for Joe Biden. So he's talking about the subject of prayer. And then, of course, he starts mentioning the types of prayer. First of all, there's prayers. Notice the word supplication. And this is the type of praying that we do for our own personal needs. I'm calling that the, the application of prayer. We apply prayer to the needs of our lives. One of the words, synonyms for the word supplication is the word entreaty. And what happens is when we have needs in our life, we entreat the Lord. We, we pray and we ask the Lord to step in and provide for the needs of our life. Then he uses the word prayer. That's another type of prayer, the word prayer. It's the most common word used for prayer in the Bible. And it simply speaks of the adoration of praying. That's prayer is when we bring our worship. You ever worship to God when you pray? I mean, you know, really prayer is an act of worship, so to speak, and we ought to worship God as we pray. We ought to praise God during our prayers for who He is. This is not about praying about a burden in our life. This is just praying to bless the name of God who is so good to us. And then he talks about the word there, that last phrase there, the giving of thanks. That's the appreciation of prayer. And we ought to be highly in the habit of saying thank you to God for the prayers that you have answered for us, the things you have done for us. But then notice that word intercession. That's the arbitration of prayer. That is where we go to God in the behalf of others. We plead with God in prayer for other people. That's what it means to make intercession. We go to God in the behalf of somebody else. Now that's why we ought to pray for Joe Biden. I got it in my mind, he ain't going to God for himself. So he needs to go get somebody to go to God for him. Can I give you a good illustration of intercession? Abraham in Genesis 18. When God came down and told Abraham that he's going down to Sodom and Gomorrah because the cry, the wickedness of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah had come up before him, and Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom. Remember the story? He is making intercession. He is going to God in the behalf of Lot 
and, of course, the, 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 the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you what intercession is. It is, it is Esther going to King Ahasuerus in behalf of the nation of Israel. That is intercessory prayer. Did you know the Bible even says this? The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. There's a verse over in Romans chapter number 8 that says, Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, capital S, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know, sometimes you just become so burdened down, you don't even know how to pray. And you just go to God and maybe you just, maybe you just start, you say, in Jesus' name, God, I come before you, and then you break because you're so burdened with life and the tears starts flowing. And, buddy, it's about that time the Holy Spirit of God steps into that situation and takes the brokenness and the burden of your heart, and he takes it to God and presents it to God for us. You know what he's doing? He's interceding on our behalf. You ever been so broke you couldn't even pray? You ever been so burdened down you didn't know what to say? You ever been to the point like we, most of us were a few weeks ago? We didn't know what to pray? I promise you this, the Holy Spirit was gathering all that up. And he's going to God and say, God, they don't even know what to say. But here's what they're trying to say, Lord. They need your help. And he's interceding. He's going to God for us. By the way, guess what? Jesus is interceding for us. Boy, I tell you what, we can't lose with the Holy Ghost and Jesus interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Aren't you glad we got one up yonder in heaven that's going to God for us? He's our go-between. He's the propitiation. He's the advocate. He's our lawyer that intercedes in our behalf. Boy, I'm glad he does. Boy, the Bible says one of the words for the devil is he's an accuser of the brethren and he accuses us before God. By the way, you know, I know he's a liar, but probably most of what he says about me is the truth. And I just see here, here he is going to God saying, boy, God, I'll tell you, God, that old preacher down there, I mean, so-called preacher, Tim Gammons, God, one of your children down there, did you see what he just did? God, did you see the mess he just made down there? If I was you, I'd cut him off. God, I'd just, I'd just let him go to hell if I was you. But thank God sitting right there at the right hand of the Father is one who is interceding on my behalf. And God the Father looks over at God the Son, and God the Son raises those near pierced hands and says, Father, that's one of mine that I died for on Calvary. That's one of mine that you gave me. He belongs to me. And God accepts me on the basis of someone that's going and talking to him on my behalf. Intercession. What a great Bible word. I want to encourage you. We need to intercede in these days. We got a lot of sick people in our church who needs somebody to go to God for them. We got a lot of lost people in this world, people on our heart. We got to go to, there's a lot of people who just quit church over these last several months. They've just got, they started watching on TV and then on, on the computer and then they started watching church on computer and TV on TV and, and, and then they started watching TV and just a little bit of church and now it's all TV and no church. And they've just completely, you know what, they need somebody to go talk to God on their behalf. Intercession. But here's a great verse about interceding. 
Look at this, Isaiah chapter 59. This is amazing. This is the one thing that amazed God. Look at this. And he saw, and God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God seen the predicament of all that was going on in that chapter. God said truth was laying in the street. God talked about the violence that was covering the land. And God said, the thing that amazes me is nobody's coming to me on the behalf of what's going on. Intercession. What a great Bible word. Intercession. Then there's another one. Look at this one. Not only intercession, but what about this one? Imputation. You ever heard that one? Imputed or imputation. Let me tell you this. That word is mentioned 14 times in the Bible. Now, you, we don't talk a lot about the word imputed uh, in, 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 in our services, but what a great Bible word. The word imputed means to lay to the account of, or it means to put to one's account. Now, let me explain that and how that relates to us. We all know that when we were born into this world, we were born sinners. We were sinners by birth. And then a little bit later on, we had that sin nature I've been preaching so much about. And then a little bit later, we became sinners by choice because we chose to sin. Sin was inbred within us, but then also it became just a habit, a routine of our life. So as we, as we grow older the account of our sins that we've got to answer for grows larger. Can you just imagine? I don't know how old you were when you were saved. I was 16 when I got saved, so I had 16 years worth of sin that was credited to my account, that was put on my account. Many of you were you're a lot older. Some of you were maybe in your 60s or 70s when you got saved. If you were 65, you had 65 years of sin put on your account. I mean, and I mean, you think about that. Something's got to be done about that sin account before God can let you into heaven. Maybe that's the reason the old songwriter said this, the old account was large and growing every day. For I was always sinning and never thought to pay, but when I looked ahead and saw such pain and woe, I said that I would settle and settled long ago. Yeah. I mean, you stop and think about that. Our accounts are large, and they're growing larger and longer every day. Have you ever stopped thinking about this, a man or a woman without Jesus? Every day that they live without the Lord, they have one more day's sin to repent of and one less day's of their life to repent in. Now, that's deep. Let that mull over in your mind a minute. They got one more day's sin to repent of and one less day to repent in. I mean, if we die and that account, that long account of our sin, if something hadn't been done about that, every last one of us is going to wind up in hell. And every day of our life, we're just running up more account. The longer the count grows. But thank God that's where Jesus stepped in. Jesus came into this world... And we are told over and over again in the Bible that Jesus died for our account. Jesus died for our sins. Hebrews 9.28 says this, So Christ was once offered 
to bear the sins of many. Jesus came into this world and took all the sins of this world upon himself and he went to Calvary. That's the reason in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 we read this, that he by the grace of God tasted death for all men. So here we are with this long account of sin, big old account of all of our sins. There are heavenly hands that are keeping a record of our life and if we die without doing anything about that account, someday will face every sin that's on that record. But thank God Jesus stepped in. And when he went to Calvary, he not only, he died for the sins of the entire world. And when you and I by faith came to Jesus and accepted him and the payment that he made, his righteousness was imputed. It was put on our account and every sin that we had ever committed on our account was put on the account of Calvary. And thank God because of his finished work, we have no sins left to pay for. His righteousness was put to our account and our sin was put to his account. Let me read this to you. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God. How'd you get saved? You believed God. We, he believed God and it was counted. There's the word. It was counted. It was reckoned. It was put to his account for righteousness. Look at these other verses here. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God, there's the word, imputeth, put to the account of righteousness without works. It goes on to say this, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So amazing thing. Here I was struggling along under the weight of my sin, but when I believed God, and I came to Jesus, all of my sin was put on Jesus' account, and all of his righteousness was put on my account. And guess what? I ain't got anything left to pay for because Jesus paid for it on Calvary. And his righteousness was imputed. It was put on my account. Now, we have a great story about all that in our Bible in a little book over the New Testament called the book of Philemon. And you may remember it's about a boy by the name of Onesimus. He was a slave, and he stole some money from his master, Philemon, and hightailed it to Rome. And while he was in Rome, probably got in more trouble, was thrown back into jail again, and happened to be thrown into jail with an old boy by the name of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the great apostle. Walked in that day and there's old Onesimus. He's sitting on somebody on one side of the jail, and he's saying something like this, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And Paul's sitting on the other side saying, It's funny you should mention trouble. Boy, I've had my share of trouble in life. By the way, do you know Jesus? And it didn't long till Paul has led Onesimus to the Lord. And Onesimus got saved. Paul said, You know something? Here, here's what you need to do. You got to go back and make this right with Philemon. Onesimus said, Ain't no way I'm going back. No, sir. I'm not going. Don't you understand? I stole something from him. If I go back there, he can kill me. Paul said, Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So he interceded on the behalf of Onesimus and wrote him a letter. And in that letter, he said that, look, now I want you to, Onesimus has gotten saved, Philemon, and, and I'm sending him back to you, and I'd like for you to receive him as you'd receive me. 
I'd like for you to take all, and, and by the way, he said, if he wrongs you, if he hath wronged you, or if he oweth it all, oweth you all, put that on my account. And I imagine when old Philemon got through reading that letter, there stands Onesimus before him. Man, he's just expecting the judgment to fall. I mean, he's, he's humble looking. He's bowed down. I can imagine old Philemon probably stuck out his hand and said, Welcome home, Paul. Paul, the letter said, If he hath wronged thee or if he all put that on my account, receive him as you would receive me. You know what amazes me? When we get to heaven, we're going to have the welcome of the Son of God himself. Because when I receive him, heaven is going to receive me as it would receive him. That blows my mind. I mean, when I get to heaven, God's going to throw open the gate and say, Come on in, son. Because I had wronged God, but Jesus said on Calvary, Just put that on my account. And Father, receive him just like you'd receive me. And God said, Since he received you, son, I'll receive him like you. Uh, I'll receive him just like I'd receive you. Amazing imputation. What a great Bible word. Intercession. Imputation, but we ain't done yet. Here's another good one. What about this one? Immutable. Now, that's not a word we use a whole lot in our day. When's the last time you heard something, somebody was immutable? I mean, we don't use that word a whole lot today, and it's not mentioned but only twice in our Bible. But what a great word. Because that word immutable describes one of the major characteristics or attributes of our God. The word immutable means this, unchanging. Unchanging. Now that's important to us because we're living in a world that is the, in the constant state of change. Whoever believed that one year ago tonight, one year ago tonight, that we would have seen the changes that we have seen in our nation in only a year's time, 11 months' time. I mean, last year at this time, we was bouncing right along. Oh, yeah, we'd heard about some virus someplace over in China, something about some bats, some people was dying over there. But that ain't going to happen over here. I mean, that's not going to happen in America. We saw that crowd over there wearing masks and all quarantined, nobody on the streets, and we thought, man, that crowd, they're crazy over there. That is not going to happen in America. It doesn't happen like that. Now look at where we're at 11 months later. Our world has been affected and rocked. This world is in a process of change. Whoever dreamed we'd, a, we'd have a president elected that didn't even run a campaign? I mean, whoever thought that we would have a president that's, that's, that's in the White House that didn't even get out on the campaign trail? Things change, but God sure don't. Hallelujah. You know what a good Bible word? He is immutable. He does not change. Can I tell you this? A virus nor an election can change him. He's the same. Look at this verse. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Look at this next verse. Here we go. Uh, of old, uh, of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of thy hands. And then the next verse says, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them. And they shall, God said, everything around us is going to change. But God said, don't worry about it. 
I ain't never going to change. And God remains the same. Hebrews 13, 8, say it with me. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, because God doesn't change, His promises don't change. Because God doesn't change, His attributes don't change. Because God doesn't change, His Word don't change. Because God doesn't change, we don't have to get up in the morning and just wonder what kind of a God that we've got today. What kind of a mood is our God going to be in? He doesn't change. And it kind of fills your heart with a lot of peace knowing that things may be going crazy down here. Things may be changing constantly here, but up yonder in heaven, there's a God sitting on the throne who's the same yesterday. He's the same God in the 1800s and the 1900s. He's the same God today, and he'll always be the same. He'll never change. Amen. He is immutable. Immutable. Amen. And then there's one final word. We got to go, and that's this word, the word immortal. I told you I'd find enough of them. Immortal. You see, I know what that means. That word immortal, that means like eternal. Nope. There is a difference between the word eternal and the word immortal. E eternity has to do with span. E immortality has to do with state. Eternity has to do, eternal has to deal with the, the constant. Immortal deals with the condition. In other words, eternal means forever. Immortal means incorruptible. Now, I'm going to have eternal life. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to have it. I got it right now. But some of these days, I'm going to die, and there's going to come a change in this body. This old body's going to decay. It's going to rot. They're going to put it in a $15,000 coffin and everybody's going to come around and try, cry buckets of tears and they're going to get me one of them vaults that cost about $25,000 and they're going to put me in the grave and I mean, throw dirt. Everybody's going to come around and say, what in the world are we going to do without Brother Tim? I mean, it's just going to be a sight. I'm kidding. But I tell you what, this old body's going to decay. But when Jesus comes... He's going to call this old decayed body out of the grave if I die before he comes. And this mortal shall put on immortality. This corruptible, that which corrupts, shall put on incorruptible bit or immortality. And we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I'm going to live with God eternally in an immortal body that will never corrupt. I won't have to have glasses when I get to heaven. Praise the Lord. I won't, uh, I won't, what else do I won't have to do? I won't have to get up and run every day so I can go out and eat like a crazy idiot. I won't have to. I won't have to take blood pressure medicine no more because y'all give it to me. I, I won't have to do any of that anymore, and I'm going to have a body that will never corrupt or never grow immortal. Yeah, it sounds like to me I got something to look forward to. And you're going to have one eternal in the heavens with God immortal in your body that'll never corrupt. Four good Bibles. Say them with me. The word intercession, the word imp, the word and the word man, those are good Bible words. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible tonight. I'm so glad we got the